0: If you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 42. However, at the outset here, I'm just going to be reading verses 25 through 37. We'll pick up the rest of uh, our passage later on in the sermon. So Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25 And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. As you do, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Now, I may have told this story before, and if I have, you'll just have to bear with me. Um, But uh, as I was preparing this week, it made me think of this time in my life when I was in college. Uh, I was a junior, and during that year, I was a resident assistant uh, in our dorm, which means that I was in charge of the 40 guys that lived on my floor. Uh, My door was like a revolving door. It was constantly open. Uh, dealing with uh, the, the needs and the issues of, uh, of the guys who God had put under my care. And uh, it took a lot out of me that year. Uh, as an introvert, you could assume what it was like. I got burned out very quickly. Um, so that year during spring break, uh, I decided to do something very different. Uh, I didn't want to go to the beach. I didn't want to go on a road trip with my friends. Um, I had done service projects, previous spring breaks. Uh, I decided that I needed to spend some time with myself. And so there was a local monastery about an hour away. And so I reserved a spot there and spent the week in solitude. Let me tell you, it was one of the greatest weeks (laughs) of my life. I loved it. It was exactly what I needed. Uh, I spent some time reading. I spent some time in prayer. I spent some time writing. I spent some time walking through the woods. Uh, I spent some time in worship with the monks, uh, eating with them. Uh, Sometimes uh, I could speak with them, sometimes uh, that was not allowed because they were observing silence. Uh, But it was great. It was uh, just what I needed, and I came back to college then rejuvenated. Uh, ready for the last couple of months of school. See, what I needed in my life at that point was a little balance. Uh, I needed some time to spend with the Lord. Uh, I had been giving uh, very much of myself during uh, my time as an RA, and I needed to be filled again. This morning we're going to look at that balance Uh, On the one hand, following Christ means sacrificially loving your neighbor. And we're going to talk about that in the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But on the other hand, as we look at Mary and Martha and Jesus' experience with them, we should not get so caught up in the doing that we neglect learning at Jesus' feet. Honestly, the message this morning is very simple, and it's one that we've heard before. But the problem is that there's a reason why we've heard it before because we need to hear it constantly. Uh, We need this constant reminder. So let's start here with the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man comes forward to Jesus. He is a lawyer, and he asks Jesus a question. This is what lawyers are paid to do, trained to do, to ask questions. And he asks perhaps the most important question that anyone could ever ask. He asks, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus, understanding that he is a lawyer, he says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The man asking the question obviously is trained in the law, so Jesus entertains him and see where he is at in regards to the law. But interestingly, here, when talking about eternal life, my question is this Why would Jesus turn to the law? When I first started here, we went through the book of Galatians. And Paul is very clear in the book of Galatians, especially in Galatians 2, verse 16. He says that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So when talking about eternal life here, why does Jesus immediately turn to the law? I get that the man is a lawyer, but wouldn't he point him away from the law and to himself? Here's a question for us to consider this morning. Is it possible to gain eternal life by following the law? And the question is, yes, it is. If Adam and Eve would have never sinned, would they have had eternal life? Yes, they would have. If they would have followed God's law perfectly, they would have had life. And the same is true for us. If we follow God's law perfectly, would we have eternal life? Yes. But, and it's a big but, we know from personal experience, every single one of us, we can't do it. We cannot follow the law because of our sinful nature it's not virtually impossible for us to follow the law it is actually impossible for us to follow the law we cannot do it we will fail think of it this way if you were a scientist and you were doing an experiment and if that experiment failed 100 percent of the time what conclusion would you draw this is impossible. It can't happen. It's with our sin. We fail 100% of the time. Every single person fails when it comes to the law. It is impossible. What the law does is it reveals our sin and it points us to Jesus. One of the things that Jesus is doing here is he is allowing the perfect law of God to reveal this man's need for a savior. For Jesus Christ. Because who can really love God with all their heart, all their soul, with all their strength, and with all their mind? Who can really do that? And who can perfectly love their neighbor as themselves? We can't keep the law. Jesus kept it for us. This is the gospel. So the lawyer answers Jesus' question here. And he answers it with the greatest commandment. He gives the correct response. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now he may have heard at one point Jesus giving this answer. This is a very common saying for the Jews. This is their Shema. This is what they would say in in synagogue when they would gather together. Uh, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. This is familiar to them. So he knows this commandment, and he gives the correct response. And Jesus says, do this, and you will live. Now you would think that the encounter would end there. This man is a lawyer. He's paid and he's trained to ask questions. So he seeks clarification. He wants to justify himself. And so he says, well then, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' response is one of the most famous parables that we have, the parable of the good Samaritan. So Jesus answers this question with a story. And what his answer is to this question of who is my neighbor is this. Jesus says you should not discriminate. You can't categorize one person as my neighbor and another person as not my neighbor. There is no such category as not my neighbor. And he does this brilliantly by using the tension between Jews and Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. You know the background here. They despised one another. Uh, When Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well... She's not just surprised that a man is talking to a woman. She is floored the fact that a Jew is talking to a Samaritan. This just didn't happen. The tension was that strong. So he uses the Samaritan here as the protagonist. The one who we should look to in this story to emulate. So who is my neighbor? Jesus' response is everyone that God places in our path. But Jesus' story answers another question as well. He goes beyond the question of the lawyer. He doesn't just answer, well, who is my neighbor? He also answers, well, how do I behave as a neighbor? How do I love others as a neighbor? This parable shows this lawyer and us how to love our neighbors as ourselves. We see a three-step process of love here. That's very, very important. This is a a three-step process that we actually see in other parts of Luke. We see Jesus doing and uh, Jesus having other characters do in the story that he tells as well. We see the Good Samaritan doing three things. Seeing, having compassion, and then helping. Seeing... Having compassion and helping. This is the same process that we see in Luke chapter 7 when Jesus raises the son of the widow of Nain. He comes to this great funeral procession, and the woman is out front and he sees her. He sees this widow who has just lost her son. He has compassion on her. His heart goes out to her and he helps her by raising her son from the dead. We see the Good Samaritan here. Seeing, helping, excuse me, seeing, having compassion, and helping. We see it in the story of the prodigal son, where when his son is a long ways off, the father sees him. He has compassion. His heart goes out to him. And he runs to his son. Uh, we see this time and time again in the Gospels. So, let's first look at seeing Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him. Now, he's not different from the priest and the Levite at this point. The priest and the Levite saw the man as well. They responded very differently. Um, They were crossed over to the other side of the road. The Samaritan, though, saw the man, and he didn't look away. Seeing is the first step of love, but because in seeing, what you're doing is you're giving someone your attention. When you're looking someone in the eye, you are giving your attention to them. You're not distracted. You are seeing them. Uh, During our last parents' night out, uh, Stephanie and I went to P.F. Chang's, and uh, we love the lettuce, lettuce wraps there. It's one of our favorite restaurants. We enjoy going there. And as we were eating, I noticed a couple who was behind Stephanie and, and to, her, or to my right. And every once in a while, I'd look up at them. And every time I did, their faces were buried in their phones. They were sitting across from each other in their booth, but both of them had their phone out, and they were looking down the whole time. Uh, I think the only time they looked up was when their server came and uh, when, they started, uh, when they got their food. Uh, they were very distracted. Uh, it seems like... Uh, That is us as a culture, very distracted. Uh, What does it say about us when we're so preoccupied with our devices that we don't look up and see the world around us? What does it say to our children when we hardly raise our eyes to look at them? Children, young adults, what does it say to your parents when you do the same? The first step of love is giving someone our attention, of directing our gaze at them, of actually seeing them. As I said before, Jesus demonstrated this. He was constantly looking at people. He wasn't distracted. He was seeing them. Step two, after seeing him... It says in verse 33 that the good Samaritan had compassion. The reason that the Levite and the priest passed on the other side of the road is that they did not have compassion. They saw the man, they saw him lying there, but they did not stop. The compassion of the good Samaritan causes him to stop. He sees the man and his heart is moved within him. He is compelled to act. Now if we're honest with ourselves, many times we see people in trouble or people struggling and our hearts are not moved to compassion. A lot of times we see struggles and quite often we blame the person for it. And I put myself in this boat here. So let's take the classic example of the man with the sign who is at a street corner or at an intersection. We pass them by and we say to ourselves, you know what, if I give this guy money, he's just going to go, he's going to buy alcohol. He's going to spend it on drugs, I don't know what he's going to do. Or we say, you know what, it's their own fault. They just need to go get a job, they shouldn't be so lazy, Uh, they just want a handout. And I feel that. And I think that a lot. But I was reminded this past week of God's view of us. What was God's reaction to us in our sin? Did he say, you know what, it's their own fault. What they have done, they've done to themselves. They just need to be good. Why can't they just do what's right? I told them what to do and they're not doing it. It's not my problem. Instead, what God does is that He sees us in our sin. He sees us in our misery. And He has compassion on us. So when we see that person at the intersection, maybe giving them money isn't the best thing to do. But I know a person who has a heart of compassion, who had the great idea of putting together a little gift bag for situations such as this. This person filled a plastic bag with some snacks, uh, some items like a toothbrush, deodorant, a washcloth. And whenever this person sees these people at intersections or along the side of the road, this is what they give out. And I think that's great. What I find is that uh, I I see the compassion there. Because this person is willing, not only willing them to give them a gift bag, but they have anticipated the need, which I find uh, to be uh, of even greater compassion. They know that they will encounter these people, and rather than passing them by, uh, to be able to show compassion to them. So the Samaritan sees the man. He has compassion on him. His heart goes out to him, and finally he helps him. Starting at verse 34, He went to him. He bound his wounds. He poured oil and wine. He set him on his animal. He brought him to the inn. He took care of him. The next day, he paid the innkeeper. He said, if it costs more than what I've given you, then I'll come back and I'll pay whatever you have spent. The Samaritan did not stop at a feeling. His feeling of compassion led him to action. And not just any action, but very costly action. It cost him time. It cost him money. It cost him effort. Who knows where he was going. He may have been going to a business meeting, and he probably was late. Um, Who knows? But it cost him a lot. And honestly, what was the return on investment for the Samaritan? We're not told. It may not have been anything. It may not have been anything. Samaritan sacrificed much for this man, knowing that he would not receive uh, much in return. You know, we have a little saying here in the South that goes uh, something like this. I don't know if I've got the accent right, uh, but it goes something like, oh, bless your heart. You've heard that before. Um, we say it a lot. Um, what we mean by that is, you know what, I feel so sorry for and I hope that things work out for you. And maybe we'll follow it up by, you know, let me know if there's anything that I could do, uh, any help that you need, just give me a call. Uh, but God, through Christ, saw us in our condition. He had compassion on us and reached out to us in the most costly of ways. God, in his compassion to us, didn't simply say, oh, oh my, will oh bless your heart, I'm so sorry. He went beyond that, and He acted. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. God, through Christ, saw us in our condition, had compassion on us, and reached out to us. Just like the good Samaritan, Jesus sacrificed for us. So as we see people... I pray that we would have compassion on them and that our compassion would lead us to action. We can't be so self-centered and busy that we pass people by. That we don't give people the time of day. We must feel for them, see things from their perspective. Our hearts must go out to them and it should cause us to act. And it needs to start close to home. You know, sometimes... Uh, the people who we have the least amount of compassion for are those under our very roofs. Sometimes the ones who are closest to us are the ones that we show the least amount of compassion to. But it needs to start in our families. Honestly, it needs to start in our neighborhoods, uh, to see our neighbors, to have compassion on them, to act, to be a neighbor to our neighbors, uh, to take the time to actually meet them. You know, Halloween is coming up. And uh, it it doesn't matter what we feel about the holiday, um, but it's a great time for you to meet your neighbors. Uh, When Stephanie and I lived in Georgia, we lived in a fairly large neighborhood, and uh, the only time that I saw any trace of kids uh, was in the morning when they were uh, getting the bus. Then suddenly Halloween came around, and there were tons of kids in our neighborhood. I had no idea there were so many kids there. Uh, It's a great opportunity for you uh, as a neighbor to meet those around you. We can't get so wrapped up in the doing of the Christian life, however, that we neglect our souls. And this is what happened in the story of Mary and Martha. So let me pick up our reading here in Luke 10, starting at verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Jesus comes to this house. It's Martha's house. Mary and Martha are sisters, but they have very different personalities. It's Martha's house. She owns the house. She's most likely the older sister. Uh, You can imagine she's the task-oriented one. She's probably type A. Uh, She works hard. Uh, She makes sure that other people who are there are taken care of. She cares about Jesus' physical needs. It's a great thing. It's wonderful. Um, Mary, however, probably the younger uh, sister, is the more relational one. She is people-oriented. Things may be in disarray around her, but when she sees you, she's the type of person that puts a smile on your face. Mary and Martha are wired very differently. Uh, when, uh, when Stephanie and I were looking for a, a new call after five years of youth ministry, uh, we were looking at uh, things that, that churches would put out, kind of a description of themselves and what they were looking for in terms of a pastor. And there's this one question that we would always turn to very quickly to see what churches would put. And um, the question is, what type of pastor are you seeking? One who is... Task oriented or one who is people oriented? And every single church, I think except for maybe one or two, always would put both. And our thing would be like, that is so unrealistic. <laughs> How can somebody be completely people oriented and completely task oriented? That is very, very difficult to do. Um, granted, a, a pastor needs to be both in, in certain situations, um, but that is so difficult. Uh, based on personality, be both people oriented and task oriented. And we see the very sharp distinctions here between Martha and Mary. So Martha is running around the house, making sure everything is done properly for Jesus. Mary's sitting in the living room, sitting in front of Jesus' feet, listening to him and talking with him. So is what Martha is doing wrong? No. What she is doing is not intrinsically wrong. In this moment, is it wrong? Yes. And Jesus points that out. It is. Because what's wrong here is her heart. Why is she doing what she is doing? And her question and her demand of Jesus shows what's going on in her heart. She's not really caring about Jesus. She's actually caring about herself. Um, She's saying, why doesn't she help me? She doesn't want to give uh, the impression She wants to give off the impression that she is a good hostess, that she has everything taken care of, that she is doing everything properly. She wants Jesus to see how good her her chef skills are. She's actually worried about her own self. Mary is spending her time at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus commends her for this and says she has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. There's a balance in the Christian life. A few chapters ago, Jesus called His disciples to take up their cross and follow Him. And we need to live these self-sacrificial lives of taking up our cross daily, of following Christ. But it takes balance. From our text, we see that there needs to be a balance between actively loving our neighbor and between resting at the feet of Jesus We cannot maintain a lifestyle where we spend all of our time like Martha or the Good Samaritan. It can't happen. We'll simply burn ourselves out. Human beings weren't created to be able to give constantly, day in and day out. Jesus himself did not even do this. He took time to rest. He got tired after performing miracle upon miracle about teaching and consistently spending time with others. So he took some time alone and in prayer, and he was rejuvenated. We even saw this in the transfiguration. He was rejuvenated by his time spent with Moses and Elijah, hearing the voice from heaven, this is my son. He needed that, and we need it too. This is why we call missionary homes for a while on furlough or home missionary assignment, to give them a much-needed break. Things that they need. Sometimes it's okay and it's necessary for us to simply say no. We need to have that ability. It's very difficult to turn things down, but sometimes a good thing is not the best thing. And if we really believe that God is sovereignly in control, it will give us the freedom and the peace to be able to say no. Because God can handle whatever we say no to. He is the one in control and he will see it through. He doesn't need us. And sometimes saying no gives another person the opportunity to step up and use their gifts, and that's a great thing. We need to spend time listening and learning from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we cannot spend all of our time simply resting. Jesus, uh, our God in creation, gave us... One day of rest. He created the world in such a way that we would work six days and that we would rest on the seventh. It is important. But then we have the rest of the week. You know, when I spent that time in the monastery, it would have been wrong for me to just continue there. God was using that time as a respite for me, and then I needed to go back to my calling there as a resident assistant. Uh, sometimes we, um, um, we, we can come down hard on the monastic lifestyle. Uh, it's good for a time. But there's the story of a, of a man who spent 37 years of his life as a monk sitting on a platform. It started off nine feet above the ground. And uh, at the end of the 37 years, uh, eventually, this platform had made its way up to 50 feet tall. And that's how he spent 37 years of his life, in contemplation and in prayer, sitting on top of a one-meter-square platform. Now, I can be critical of that. Is that what God is calling us to? Um, Granted, he did spend his time in constant contemplation, uh, in prayer, but where is the balance? God is calling us to a balanced diet why the sermon title this morning is A Balanced Diet. As Christians, our calling is to love, to love God and to love our neighbors. But remember, John reminds us in 1 John 4 that we love because he first loved us. We follow God's command to love, not to earn God's favor. We follow God's command to love because we already have God's The Heidelberg Catechism is divided into three categories. You could say it's guilt, grace, and gratitude, or you could divide it along the lines of sin, salvation, service. But in the Heidelberg Catechism, they spend a lot of time going through uh, the Ten Commandments. Where does God's law fall in this guilt, grace, gratitude? Not in the guilt. It lands in the gratitude. Because when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, following God's law to love changes from a a have to to earn God's favor to a, a get to. We get to because of what God has done for us in Christ. And honestly, that makes all the difference in the world. But in living out God's command to love, we can't always be a Martha. We also need to be reminded to be a Mary, to rest at Jesus' feet, to listen to Him. We need to spend time in His Word, spend time in prayer. And we need to come to our Savior who promises rest for our souls. You know, with our, our new bulletin format that we have here, uh, one of the things that, that I'm going to be trying to do is to give you an opportunity to to jot down some notes there uh, in your bulletin, uh, but also give you some questions to kind of take home with you. Because as we listen to God's Word, He moves in our hearts and He draws out applications for us. And so I can preach God's Word to you, but if I'm not applying it to our lives, uh, then we're missing the point. So I've got a couple of questions there. For you to ask yourselves, to evaluate yourselves. Do I see people? Or am I too busy and consumed with self and what is going on to notice what is going around uh, on around me? Um, And I will also desire for you to engage in your family, to ask questions uh, of yourselves, to evaluate yourselves and what's going on. Uh, Question two: there is take some time personally and with your family, especially your children. And brainstorm some ways that you can be a neighbor to your neighbors. Pick out an idea and implement it as a family. Uh, My desire for us as a congregation that we would grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That what we talk about Sunday morning doesn't end as we walk out those doors. But that it stays with us throughout the week. That we take this, this command to love our neighbors as ourselves and actually put it into practice. Um, So uh, take those questions there, talk about them with your family, other questions that you may have as well, and uh, use them as you apply these throughout the week. With that, let us come before our great God in prayer. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that it is that even though we can read these familiar stories, um, there's a reason that it's familiar. Is because we need them. We need to be reminded of the love that you have for us and that you have called us to love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That you have called us to love and to come before you, to rest at your feet, to learn from you. Father, I pray that you would apply these words to our lives, that we would be so enamored by your gospel. That it would take such root in our lives that we would know how much, how great your love is for us. That it would spill over into love for others. Lord, teach us. Move in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.